Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Amen. So we're back in Romans. This is part six. I'm thinking I'm just going to stop telling you what part it is because there's going to be lots of parts. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, We're going to be studying today chapter uh, four where we left off, verses nine through 23. And we'll continue into chapter 5 a bit if we get lucky with time today. Sound good? So, first things first, Romans, if this is your first uh, uh, lesson in teaching, uh, in this teaching of Romans, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's important for you to know that what we are studying today is the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible. If you wanted to know what you believe and why you believe it, this is it. This is, this is it right here. Some call this the gospel according to Paul. This is the grace of God revealed. Faith, hope, and love. God's righteousness, our iniquity, God's remedy through grace. The world will tell you this. The world will tell you this. Socrates wrote a letter to Plato in 500 BC. He said, it may be that the deity can forgive sins, but I do not see how. The most elite thinkers in all the world didn't understand how grace could be possible. This study reveals how possible and how very real it is. So, where we left off, Abraham and David, if you recall, they were both saved by their faith in the Messiah. God called to Abraham. He said, Abraham, my friend, right? Come out and look at the stars. This is how I will bless you, even though you're 100 years old and Your wife is barren. Through you will be the seed line of the Messiah, as he showed him the story of the Messiah that is written in the stars. From there, we continue in verse 9. Let's open our Bibles, if we have them. Chapter 4, verse 9. Do we have any Bible pages flipping around? There they are. Thank you, thank you. There we go. (laughs) You know, Andrew was going to work up a sound effect for me at one point. (laughs) Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, Paul says, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, verse 10. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So the Jews were trying to tell everybody that you had, if you're a Gentile, if you want this Jewish Messiah, this group of Jews, not all of them, obviously, Paul was Jewish. They were trying to say, you Gentiles, if you want this Jewish Messiah, you're going to have to be a Jew first. So fall under the law, get in line, and get circumcised. Then you can have our Jewish Messiah. And Paul said, no, 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 no. For Abraham is our father, and we are of the faith as Abraham is of the faith, when when. When Abraham was thus saved by faith, it was credited credited to him as righteousness. Paul is saying, was he circumcised or uncircumcised when that happened? Ah, he was uncircumcised when that happened. According to the text, it was actually 14 years before. For 14 years before God made the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, Abraham was saved by faith 14 years before that covenant even happened. 
So Paul says, if circumcision is so important to be saved by faith, how did Abraham do it, right? Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who, what, get circumcised? All those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only, who not only are circumcised, but also who, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So that's a mouthful. But we understand salvation to be grafted into Abraham has nothing to do with the law. Amen? It is by faith alone, period. I'm glad we're done with that, aren't you? This should be the death nail on the Hebrew roots movement, if you're familiar with it, that try to take unsuspecting Gentile people and make them observe Torah festivals, try to bring you back under the law, somehow chaining you back to the Mosaic law, which was actually never intended for you. You know, Sabbath keeping, ceremonial dances, works-based religion, in other words. Did you know that back then, it was obviously even to the extent of circumcision that they're making these Gentiles enter into the Jewish faith. However, did you know that it was, actually, it was actually forbidden for the Gentiles to go into the Holy of Holies, into the temple inner area? So it, it was a, this was a loser idea from the beginning, to be honest with you. But uh, we move into our promise granted through faith here. Paul drives that death nail deep, deep into the heart of that bad teaching and wrong believing. And he continues with verse 13. Shall we read? For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. It wasn't through the law, either of them, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, get this now, he's saying, It's through faith, not the law, not through works. It's through faith because if those are of if those for if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. The word void here is the the Greek word kinos. It means empty or without content. And the promises made then have no effect. Checkmate, in other words, Paul is saying. It's either by faith, thus not the law, or the promises made to Abraham are void. Are you trying to tell me that the promises that God made to Abraham are void? Well, when you try to tell me that it's faith plus works, you are telling me that. So, in other words, checkmate. Paul says, you decide, my Jewish brothers, it is either by works, by law, 
or by faith. It cannot be both. And still to this day, it cannot be both, church. Yet how many of us even, how many of us find ourselves just slipping back into that thinking? Slipping back into that thinking perhaps when our our behavior has failed or we have failed to meet goals that we have set for ourselves, goals of holiness, goals of devotion, goals of being in the Bible enough, goals of praying enough, and we fall short, we fall short. We're eternally missing the mark. You know, that's what sin means after all. Sin simply means to miss the mark the achievement goal. You have fallen short. How many of us, when we fall short, slip back into that faith plus works mentality and begin to lose our identity into it and start to look down on ourselves, feel bad about ourselves, and forget even that God doesn't see a big disappointment when he sees you? You might be disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed in yourself. I think it's important, right? But when God looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of Christ forevermore. Amen? Mm. If you insist on having it your way, the promise itself is made worthless. It's a big deal. If you insist on having it your way, works-based religion, faith plus works, If you insist on on having it that way, the promise is made worthless and it has been made invalid. Why? Because God hates your trust in good works. He wants you to trust him. He hates your trust in good works because by putting your hope in your own hands, you see, you neglect all that God is, truly. You neglect all that he is, all that he has done, and all that he desires to continue to do for you and continue to do in the future. And we see a little bit of what God's plan entails. Let us not neglect God's plan. Can we see this on the screen? What does God, what does his plan entail? What it costs God to give Christ. What it costs the Father to give his only, only Son. The, fa- the Father's forbearance, as we read last week, right? His forbearance as he watched his Son suffer on the cross. And then, of course, what it costs Christ to put away sin at the cross, to be made sin. We have no idea what he must have gone through. In his flesh, truly, to take the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, upon himself and have it crucified on that cross. God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, Hal Lindsay famously said. We do not neglect this. Amen? when you put the control back in your hands, when we forget that faith plus nothing equals salvation, we forget the gospel and we neglect everything that he has done. We neglect his plan for us. Verse 15. Verse 15. Faith is made void and of no effect. Verse 15, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, the whole point of the, of the law itself, Paul tells us, 
is to expose sin. That's the whole point of it. To, re- to help you realize that your situation is desperate apart from an intervention. Did everybody in here know that you need an intervention? Yeah. Maybe not for the reasons you think, right? We all need an intervention. Well, we're lost. Our situation is hopeless apart from him and what he has done. If it's left in our hands for works, we're done. We're cooked. That's it. The whole, the law itself, you understand, it can only curse. It cannot bless because that was the point. Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, right? Broke them all, went back, got more, came down with the Ten again. And what did the people say? All this we can do and more. No, 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 they didn't get it. So here comes another 603 to really make the point. You can't do it. The whole point of the law is to expose sin. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. It just exposes the sin. Verse 16, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. That word in the Greek is haris. It means to extend towards you. God is extending himself to you for your benefit. The only only God there is that comes to you versus all of the other false deities that try to get you to come groveling to them. Jesus comes to you, extends his heart, his hand to you. As David said, out of the miry miry clay, out of the muck and the mud, amen? Mm. If you try to earn it, you are denying God's grace. Oh, it's so easy to slip into that, isn't it? So easy to forget, for it's the nature of our flesh. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to God's grace, so that the promise might be sure, might be certain. It is certain. It is, it's not up in the air, guys. That's good news, isn't it? Amen? The promise might be sure to all seed. But who's the seed then? Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. And what was the faith of Abraham? Remember last week's teaching? He believed. God told him, through you the Messiah will come, and he believed him. He believed him. Faith in the Messiah the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all now. Not just the father of the Jews, for he's our father now because he is the man of faith. And as we have faith and we believe, we are of him, grafted in. Now, this is very important, though. Don't get it twisted. This does not mean that the Gentiles are now Israel because they're all together, okay? The Gentiles are not now Israel This is a verse that gets taken out of context and replacement theologists love to use it. It means that there is one one means to salvation. That's it. That the promises made to the nation, the physical seed, the nation of Israel, still stand separate. Keep in mind that God also made promises to Jacob and to David. Just because we are all together now in faith, saved all of us, doesn't make you a Jew. All right? 
Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And this is a big point here. Because father of many nations, you can transliterate that as multitudes as well. Also, many nations, not just the nation of Israel. That means you are a separate nation. doesn't make you Israel. He's your father, even though you're not Israel. You get the point? This is a reference, though, when he says, I have made you a father of many nations. Paul is actually quoting uh, Genesis chapter 5 here. So this is a, he's tying a direct line here to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, and Genesis chapter 15, excuse me, when God changed his name. Do you guys remember that story? When God changed the name of Abram and Sarai? Think for a second. Think for a second, you know, the name of uh, Abraham, it actually means father of many nations. You think about that for a minute, when, uh, when Abraham is out working in the yard, Sarah calls out to him, father of many nations, dinner is ready, he's a hundred, she's barren, the neighbor's got to think he's lost it a little bit, huh? But I want to show you guys something here real quick. Can we take a picture, uh, look at this next picture? This is the uh, Hebrew, do we have it? Letter hey. This is the Hebrew letter hey. okay? This word, this letter means behold revealed spirit. It's the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a, gematria is five. See, Hebrew letters have a, a number of significance. They also have meaning as their symbols. When God changed Abraham's name, he did something special. Can we see that next picture? Let's take a look at this one. The white one. Is there not a white one before or after? Oh, man. Anyway, this is... um, I'm getting the... It's not in there, Pastor Jeff. Uh, this is the letter, if you're curious, that, Ab- that God put into Abram's name. And he put this same letter into Sarah's name. He put the hay in their names when they believed. And what does it mean? This letter he actually put into the spelling of their names? That's it. That's it. That's beautiful, isn't it? God gave them his spirit Long ago, church, in the Old Testament, he revealed himself to Abraham and Sarah, just as he has revealed himself to you and I now. When you believe, what does he do? He seals your heart with what? The Holy Spirit. And that's what guarantees your inheritance. His Spirit enters you just as it entered Abraham and Sarah, and it seals and it reveals His spirit is your deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Amen? That's good news, huh? Amen. Let's look at verse 17 17 again. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is the character, this is a character trait of God on full display right here is what we have to understand, church. This is a scripture that has been used and abused by the name it and claim it movement left and right 
that doctrine, but it doesn't mean that it isn't true still to a degree, church. This is our God. This is our God who gives life to the dead, raises things from the dead, who calls things which do not exist as though they do. This is a character issue with God. This is who he is, church. I've seen it in my life time and time again. Things that were not, things that shouldn't happen, things that don't make sense. We need, we need a divine intervention. We've seen it in the life of this church, haven't we? Needing a place to meet, right? Kicked out of one space into another space. God provides another space just before the other one is torn down, literally, and we didn't even know it was going to happen. I got to tell you that story. So we're in the middle school, right? We're, we're, meeting, we're meeting in the community center, and we have an opportunity to move into the middle school across the street. But it's a lot more money, and we don't have that money. But the Holy Spirit is telling us so strongly to do it. So what do we do? We just take a leap of faith. God miraculously brings in the funds before we even had our first service over there. Somebody sponsored us. He met us right where, we, right, right where our need was. He met us right where we stepped out into faith. And then two weeks later, they demolished the other space that we were in, and we didn't even know they were going to be doing that. <laughs> like, why did the fence go around the place across the street? Oh, it's a good thing we had the faith to step out and trust God, huh? Oh, we've seen that again. Then, we, then COVID-19 shuts down the middle school. We say, where are we going to meet? He provides a field, right? And we meet in an outdoor chapel. Then it starts getting cold. Where are we going to meet? John comes along. Amen? That's our God. That's our God, church. So this verse here, I mentioned that it's been used and abused by name it and claim it movements. Like, I'm going to, I need a pile of money right here, and if I'm not rich, then I'm not, then I don't have enough faith, and they abuse this verse so much, talking, talking like that. But it's still our character of our God. He's able to do that, church. That's why we pray boldly. We go boldly before the throne of grace, but we do it submitted to his will. Amen? Be it according to your will, Lord, but little help would be nice, right? Show yourself to be mighty, Lord God, but let it be according to your will. Mm. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 echoes this sentiment. I believe the writer of Hebrews was Paul. Uh, other good scholars don't, but that's fine. In uh, Hebrews 4, 16, Paul says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. Come what? Sheepishly? No? How many, can I ask you this? How many of us, when we go before the Lord... And we, we're going to ask him for something. How many of us kind of back into it? Like, uh, I know I don't deserve this, Lord, right? I know. Seriously, though, I, I know you might not want to bless me. I know I haven't been, you know, good lately or whatever, but I need some help here. No, no, no. The Word of God tells us to go boldly and say <laughs> The only reason I'm here, Lord, is because I'm clothed in your son's righteousness, but his righteousness is pure. Amen? So with humble hearts, we come boldly before the throne of God. Amen? Amen. Verse 18, let's keep moving on chapter 4. 
talking of Abraham here, who contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. So he's 100 years old, but he's not weak in faith. So he's not like, he didn't consider himself too weak to, to have children, in other words. He's, God said it, I believe it. The world's looking at me saying, what? But God said it, I believe it, right? He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's room. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of what the circumstances told him, in spite of what the world surely told him, barren wife, old age, he believed God. Amen, right? I see this next picture. I want to make this, I want to drive this point home with you in studying through this scripture. The only way that you can glorify God is to believe him. You understand, church, that the more you trust God, the more you'll trust God. Do you know that? The more you trust God, the more you'll trust him. Does that make sense? It makes, it makes sense when you do, okay? If you have yet to put your trust in him, just do it, and then this will make sense, okay? The more you trust God, the more you trust him. I don't know how else to say that. Verse 20 tells us that he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. Verse 21. And being fully convinced. Fully convinced. That's something else right there. Not just He didn't just think it was likely. Right? He was fully convinced, being fully convinced of who God is is that, well, I, I know who God is, so if he says it, well, might not look good to the world, but I'm fully convinced because I know who he is, amen? Being fully convinced that he had promised, he was also able to perform. That what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Do you believe that what God promises you, he's able to perform? Are you fully convinced of that? Let us endeavor to get there, amen, if we're not already. Do you believe that God is able to do everything he's promised you? Sometimes we get a little worried when we start watching the news a little bit, right? Right? We start getting a little antsy when we see some people that need justice and no one's, no one's getting justice, Right? God is your vindicator, and he's promised that to you. Amen? Amen? Verse 22, then. Is that where we're at? Yeah. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Verse 24. But also for us. It's not just for Abraham. It's for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, verse 25, who was delivered up 
Jesus Christ was delivered up, and this is important to note. He's not talking about Judas here, how Judas turned on, on the Lord and gave him over, right? No, he's talking about God, who was delivered up because the Father gave him up, his only son, because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. In other words, can we see this on the screen? Because of our offenses, because of our offenses, in other words, because we were separated from him. And because of our justification, because he wanted us back. He wanted you back. Because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does, right? Because he so loved the world. He so loved the world, church. So chapter 5 scrolls on. Remember, it's a scroll. It's rolled out, right? The letter, in other words, continues. Having now outlined God's way of justifying sinners, Paul now lists the blessings that accrue to those who have been justified by faith and take on the righteous robe of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, is that you? Amen? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All who were estranged, all who were hostile even, all who were enemies of God even, now they have peace with God having been justified by faith. Paul says it elsewhere in Colossians. Can we look at that? First Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 reads, Paul writes, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's a pretty tough statement. That's some, that's some name calling right there, right? You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. Wow. To present you hagios in the Greek, which means the most holy thing, which means a saint. He presents you a saint, and he presents you blameless. Amos, amamos in the Greek means without blemish. It means faultless. It means unblameable. Whoa. Blameless, unblameable. You cannot be blamed, in other words. Jesus is presenting you as a saint, the most holy thing, faultless, unblameable, and above reproach. <laughs> In the Greek, that means uh, anekletos, anekletos. It means cannot be called into account. So Jesus is presenting you to the Father as one who cannot be called to an account. Unreprovable, unaccused, the definition actually says. He presents you to God the Father unaccused. Where is your accuser? Where is your accuser? Where have your accusers gone, woman? Go and sin no more. Where have they all gone? 
in his sight, in the Father's sight, he presents you holy, blameless, and above reproach in the sight of the Father. Former rebels are not merely forgiven. Understand this. Former rebels are not merely forgiven, but are brought into a place of high favor with God Almighty. You are blessed and highly favored. That's how he views you. Church, how many of us live our lives with this perspective? Hmm? Do you live your life with that perspective? I don't think think one of us can honestly say we walk around, that every room we walk into, every every, uh, store we walk into, we expect a deal. I'm expecting some kind of favor to come to me when I come in. All right? Don't forget to ask for a discount now at lunch, right? (laughs) We should expect favor. Why? Well, maybe not from the world, but we should expect favor from God in our circumstances. This is why I always say, don't go on a job interview without bringing Jesus, all right? Jesus, we come with me. All right? For real. Lord, go before me. Work in the hearts and the minds of the decision makers, will you? Show me your favor on this. Be it according to your will, though, of course. Amen? Mm-mm-mm. This is so cool, though, because this, this scripture, in this scripture, Paul says you are presented. You are presented. You are being presented before the king of kings. There's a lot of period shows right now where the kings and queens and old England and all that stuff, right? You see it all over the kids' shows, too. There's a cartoon going at my house all the time, right? You ever see those shows, though, whatever it is, where they're like, presenting the Duchess of Edinburgh or whatever, and the Duchess comes in. Presenting, that's how they used to do it, right? Just imagine for a second when uh, Vicky's greeting you and she comes in and she says, <clears throat> presenting Robert and Teresa Epps, and they come in, right? Presenting Ron Goodman. He's wearing the fashionable righteous robe of Christ today, right? So he's pre- this, is, this is Paul. Jesus is presenting you to the Father in that same manner, in that royal manner. Remember, we have a king. The king has court. We are ambassadors of that kingdom. We're talking about a king. That's, this is royal language that Paul is using, and he's saying that when he announces you in the room, when you walk in, and he announces you before the throne, before the king of kings, he says, and here is holy, blameless, and above reproach. Fill in the blank your name. Amen? That'll preach. Live your life with that perspective. Understand that's who God says you are now. You live your life with that expectation to see the hand of God move before you, the hand of God to make rivers in the desert for you. Get the visual here, church. Mm -mm. Verse 2, holy, blameless, We have access. Where am I? I got lost. Okay. Through whom we 
have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We have access. This here denotes privilege in the Greek context. This is, this is a good sermon, huh? I like this one. <laughs> this denotes privilege or being introduced or approaching someone of high standing. You have access. The royal or divine personage. I didn't make that up. That was the actual definition. But how, how so? How do we have this access by faith into this grace in which we stand? God reaching out to us, inclining down. Mm. And rejoice in hope of glo- in the glory of God. You see, you've got to understand, church, that peace and joy are twin blessings of the gospel. You should have peace And you should have joy. One of my mentors, uh, Pastor Paul Baggett, would always say, a Christian should be happy, right? A Christian who understands everything that Paul is saying, that how God sees you, who you are now, the favor that you have, the access that you have, how Jesus presents you now as his beloved saint, as he presents you to the king of kings. You should get happy about that. Amen? Peace and joy are twin blessings. Through this next section, um, three objects of joy will be mentioned throughout this next section, okay? Uh, He says, rejoice, and I'll move quickly. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, he just said. Here he moves into, can we see this first uh, graphic? Three objects, the first of which is going to be the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Three objects of hope. The hope of glory, verse 3 reads, but not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Oh, whoa, hold on now. I like the first one better. All right? I like the first one better, the hope of his glory. What is the hope of his glory? That our eternity is secure in his hand. And he's not going to lose you. You ever give something important uh, to someone else to hold on to? Anybody? Isn't there a little part of you that's kind of afraid they might lose it, right? He's not going to lose it. He's not going to lose you. You're secure in his hand. So the hope, of, the hope of glory is that one day this body will be transfigured. It'll be made new, right? Chuck and I were talking about this before service. This is just our space suit, basically, right? This is your Terra suit, your Earth suit, you know? One day we'll be transfigured back into a likeness that, that, that shares in the glory of God as Adam and Eve once were, before they fell, before sickness and death and pain entered this world. Our hope is in that glory, his glory. It's coming, church. That I can get behind. I don't know about this whole, but we also glory in tribulation stuff, though, Right? The term glory means to exalt. It means literally leaping for joy. We glory. I raise my hands and jump and my feet go in the air and somebody snaps, snaps a picture, right? That's what it means. Do you glory in the hope of God? Amen. I don't know if I 
Glory for tribulations, though. <laughs> That's tough. The term tribulation means, uh, is philipsis. It means oppressing together or under pressure. We know what that feels like, don't we? Tribulation can also mean oppression, affliction, distress, dire straits, trials, distress that is brought about from difficult circumstances. How can we rejoice in that? Seriously, right? Feeling that you're no, you feel like you're, you're not even close to God sometimes in those moments, don't you? It's hard to get happy when things are going so wrong, church. Mm. We have to understand one thing when it comes to tribulations. We did a sermon a while back called uh, Why Suffering? It's still on the YouTube page. I encourage you guys to go watch it. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. It's been a couple of years since we did. But we must understand and maintain this perspective at all times. Can I see that next graphic? Right now, right now, church, you are becoming who you're going to be forever. Right now. You're becoming who you're going to be forever right now. Understand that? You will never have an opportunity to live in this fallen world with your body that's, you know, my ankles hurt when I walk downstairs now. It doesn't, it doesn't even do anything, right? There are bodies that, are, that have sin within. There's nothing that we can do. Pain, decay, tears, all of it. You'll never have an opportunity to believe God without seeing physically. One day you will look into the eyes of Jesus face to face. Oh, I get chills just thinking about that moment. One day you will see him face to face and you'll believe. Oh, yes, every eye, or every, every eye will look upon him and every knee will bow. Amen? It's going to happen. This is your one chance that you get to, to believe without seeing, right? And in doing so, this is your one opportunity to suffer well for him because through suffering is how we become who we are. The suffering, the tribulation, the pressing, the stress, that's when we lean on him and put our trust in him. Amen? That's when his word comes to life, it comes to life in a way that it never could apart from the suffering, you understand. As much as we don't want to like the idea of rejoicing in suffering, right? Are you kidding me? We wouldn't be who we are without it. And we would not become who we're going to be forever without it, church. So second point, next graphic, the hope of glory, rejoicing in suffering. Not yet on that one. Rejoicing in suffering which is the surprising source of joy on this list. Let's go back to verse 3. Can we see verse 3? There we go. Wonderful. Verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, what? Knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. Verse 4, And perseverance, character, and character, hope. This... One sentence is life for the believer, isn't it? 
This one sentence is life for the believer. This has got to be the heart of our message. This has got to be the perfect spot to wrap up today, right? Uh, ultimately, can we see that graphic now? Let's take a look at it. What's Paul saying? Trouble, trouble, suffering, tribulation, trouble produces character. It produces character, perseverance. It creates patience in you. And that character is what produces hope for you, church. Thus, there is no hope without character, and without trouble, there is no character. Few may realize what they are praying for when they pray for hope. Hmm? Or should I say, few may realize what they are praying for when they ask God to give them what they hope for, right? If you are his, church, if you are his, this life is all about who becoming who you were created to be. And that's what it's supposed to be all about. Okay, this one verse sums up so much of this life. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll understand. No one desires trouble or persecution, but all desire its benefits. All desire its strength. All desire its character, knowledge, wisdom, and hope. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 reads, All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are currently suffering. Why suffer? Suffer well for the kingdom of God. Next graphic. I'm out of time. Why do Christians have trials? This is from the Koinonia house uh, material. I can't take credit for this. Can we see this? Why do Christians have trials? To glorify God, disciplined for known sin, to prevent us from falling into sin, to keep us from pride. That's a good one. Why do we have trials? To build faith. Why do we have trials? To cause growth. Why do we have trials? To teach obedience and discipline. Why do we have trials? To equip us to comfort others. It's hard. You ever been comforted by somebody who truly has no idea what you're going through? It just doesn't land the same, does it? Right? Why do Christians have trials? To prove the reality of Christ in us. And according to Job, Ephesians, and 1 Peter, for testimony to angels who look on you with the most curiosity. Hmm. This, oh, forgive me. This was Hal Lindsey. Hal Lindsey and Nancy Missler's, but they had it in the Koinonia back. Information, book, whatever. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to have to figure out a way to close this now. Let me leave you here. Let's read James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Let's finish this point, okay? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. You didn't know you could be perfect, right? Now, that word means mature is a better translation. Okay? That you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. Mm. 
and verse 5. Let's verse 5. Uh, let's verse, go to verse 5 before we close. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You are signed, sealed, and... Signed, sealed, delivered. Right? <laughs> Couldn't help it, Right? You are signed, sealed, and delivered, church. There it is. There it is. Hope does not disappoint. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, man, my notes said, please, somebody else sing this song so I don't have to. And then I did it anyway. <laughs> let, me, let me leave you with this, guys. One more, let me leave you with this graphic here. We're all going through a process of maturity. A process of maturity. The highest form of maturity is what? It's hope. It's hope. Hope is the confidence in the future over the present. Maturity, maturity is faith aimed at future things. He who lacks hope in the future frets over circumstances. Mm. Have joy in difficult circumstances and troubles, my friends, because difficulties are used by God to develop proven character. And I'm still working on this too. Amen? Amen. With every eye closed and every head bowed, we'll pick up with verse 6 next week. Next week. Oh, church, I don't know what all of you are going through. I know what some of you are going through. And I'm telling you, whatever you're going through, God wants to use it for your good. He wants to use it to birth patience in you. He wants to use it to birth a maturity in you. He wants to use it to build character in you. So, yeah, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, even in your current tribulation and trial. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm not strong enough without you. I need your help to carry this. But I know you wouldn't have given it to me if you knew I couldn't carry it. And I trust you. If you're laying something down at his feet this morning, every eye is closed, every head is bowed, just raise your hand. Let him have it. Let him have it. Lay it down. What is it? Is it healing in your body? Healing in a relationship? Is it healing in any way? Let him have it. Is it persecution? Is it persecution that you're under in your home, and your family? Persecution that you're under at work, whatever it is. Let him have it. Let him have it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that you, that you help us understand the things that we just cannot understand without you, God. 
when you say rejoice in your suffering and we don't understand, you help us to understand, God. You remind us that this place is not our home. This life is but a teardrop in the time of eternity. Lord, continue to give us that perspective and that understanding, Lord Jesus. Remind us, God, of who you say we are. Remind us, Father, to lean on you and to believe you as Abraham believed. Remind us of the promises that you have for us, Father, the promises that you've made for us, Lord. The promise that you will never leave us, even to the end of the age. You'll never leave us. And you are with us. And if you are with us, then you are presenting us to the Father. And you present us as worthy and beloved. Remind us of that, God. Remind us that we have access to your favor every day, Lord Jesus. Remind us every morning, God, to ask for it, to come to you, to come to your presence. That we be more aware of their, your presence, aware of the Holy Spirit that resides within us now, Lord Jesus. You are good, so good to us. We bring, we bring all of our anxiety and trouble and tribulation and we lay it at your feet. And we say thank you. Do your work in us, Lord Jesus. Let's say this prayer out loud. If there's somebody who's putting their faith and trust into Jesus for the first time, we never want to close a service without praying with that person. So if that's you here today, raise your hand. Put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. If you're rededicating your life and your heart, raise your hand. Put it right back down. Thank you. If you're watching online and you're doing this, I ask that you'd message us so we can pray with you further. Let's pray this out loud, church. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you are who the word of God says you are. Yes. Come into my heart. Make me new. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you paid it all, all my debt, and you rose from the grave on the third day. I now put my trust in you, and my hope is in you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, go before you, follow after you, walk alongside of you. May you go in grace, expecting the favor of the Lord to be with you wherever you go. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys.